here's an interesting fact. Around 33% of Colorado's population identifies as non-white. That's according to data from the U.S. Census Bureau. And these communities of color want to make sure they're reflected in Colorado's political maps. This is Purplish from member-supported Colorado Public Radio, a podcast about Colorado politics, policy, and we are focused this season on redistricting. I'm Benta Berkland, here with my colleague, Caitlin Kim. Hey. Hi, Benta. Now, one big part of what Colorado's Independent Redistricting Commission has to do is decide which communities should be grouped together. Benta, you went to a part of the state that's heavily Latino and poses a unique challenge, Pueblo. That's right. The population in Pueblo isn't big enough to anchor its own congressional district. And initial proposals could combine Pueblo with an entirely new part of the state on the eastern plains separating it from the Western Slope for the first time in 40 years. Southern Colorado has a rich, diverse mix of people dating back generations. You know, up until 1848, the border between the U.S. and Mexico was officially the Arkansas River through southern Colorado. Zach Workowicz gives tours of that history at the El Pueblo Museum in downtown Pueblo. It's on the site of an old trading post, not far from where the Arkansas River runs through the city. Workowicz says even after the U.S.-Mexico border moved south to the Rio Grande in Texas, Pueblo continued to be a gateway of cultures and ethnicities. We see it as the borderlands between the mountains and the plains as well, where the river leaves the mountains and becomes part of the Great Plains. Pueblo's history is shaped by factors unique to Colorado. It has strong ties to the steel mill and coal industry that brought in waves of immigrants. At one point, about 40 different languages were spoken at the mill. Today, more than half of Pueblo County is Latino. Saul Trujillo raised his seven children in Pueblo. He says how people moved throughout Colorado is still relevant to today. Well, the tradition was the migration occurred from northern New Mexico into the San Luis Valley, into Trinidad, the mines, Aguilar, Walsenburg, and then that migration moved to Pueblo. And then some of that migration of the next generation moved to Denver. In the San Luis Valley and here in Pueblo, we are not the folks who crossed the border. We are the folks whom the border crossed. And that that historic reality, that shared history, and the historic neglect that our communities have faced together, it makes us a significant community of interest as one. Saul's daughter, Teresa, is a Democratic community organizer. She's been trying to get regular people in Pueblo involved in the redistricting process. She's been urging them to attend public hearings and give feedback feedback about the proposed maps. She says it's difficult for people here to see how a political map could actually make some type of difference in their lives. You know, Washington, D.C. feels a million miles away. Even the state capital from here in Pueblo can feel a million miles away. And so it's hard to get folks engaged in this and understanding how this will impact our local politics, how this will impact what our 
city councils look like, our county commissioners, our school district boards. It's hard to get folks to connect to that. Pueblo has more registered Democrats than Republicans, but they tend to be more conservative than voters in blue strongholds to the north. Democratic state lawmakers from Pueblo often go against the party and oppose things like gun control bills. And the county narrowly voted for Donald Trump in 2016. The Trump campaign also rallied supporters here last year. The Republican way is the American way. The redistricting commission's first map moves Pueblo and most of the San Luis Valley from the Western Slope-based 3rd Congressional District to the Eastern Plains-focused 4th. Both districts are heavily Republican. But people of all political stripes here say their big priority is to ensure that they get to stay together with communities that share common concerns. History is a big unifier here. So is agriculture. Potato crops in the San Luis Valley, sugar beets, wheat, and Pueblo's famous green chilies. That's the sound of green chilies roasting at Carl Musso's family farm. He's a retired farmer. His grandfather immigrated to the Pueblo area from Italy, and now Musso's son and grandson have taken over. My son plants about 15, 16 different varieties of peppers. He was just by my side from when he was one year old. He just, he just took to it, and he's like me, he liked it. Like most people I spoke to, Musso said he doesn't follow politics closely and wasn't really aware of what was happening with redistricting. For people shopping at his family's farm stand, it wasn't on their minds either. Erica Springer moved to Pueblo from out of state about a decade ago, and she said one thing to really note about this place is how much people appreciate their community. People are proud to be from Pueblo. And there are so many welcome people, and I thought there was a lot of new experiences. Even though Pueblo has its distinct identity, not enough people live here for it to be its own congressional district. Still, leaders here hope the final map doesn't dilute their unique voice at the state capitol or in Washington. State Senate President Leroy Garcia represents Pueblo. There need to be significant changes. That's undisputed. And and you hear the commission saying, we're listening. These are not going to be the final maps. We know that. So now the question is, well, how do we get to a map that better serves those communities? So, Lynn, as you heard there, people in Pueblo are just trying to figure out where the best location is for for that region to just have their voices fully represented. Um, and it would be a big change if they're moved into a district with the Eastern Plains, although I, you know, I've talked to other people who see some areas of commonality uh, between the Eastern Plains and Southern Colorado. So lots of moving parts here. Exactly. And I will say I feel like Latino groups have really been very vocal about wanting to keep their communities together, whether it be in the Denver area or in the San Luis Valley, Pueblo area. CLARO, the Colorado Latino Leadership Advocacy and Research Organization, has submitted a congressional map that really prioritizes Southern Colorado. And how do they do that? Well, I'm pretty sure that everyone is familiar with the congressional maps now, where there's a third congressional district on the Western Slope and a fourth congressional district along the Eastern Plains, you know, really focusing on the rural voices. This map actually would do away with that and creates a Southern um, congressional district that stretches from the southwestern part of the state to the southeastern part of the state. Yeah, that's interesting. And I actually heard from one of the commission staff members that the commissioners are interested in that. And they've asked for a map to be drawn that would show 
you know, if you do have this southern Colorado district, what does that mean for all the the other parts of the state and other communities? It really does scramble the map the way it, it currently is. And I think it would be really interesting if they decided to move forward with it. Well, yeah, the, the map I saw that Clara proposed looks more favorable to Democrats um, than the draft we saw from the nonpartisan staff. I think you're right. There's definitely going to be pushback. But something I found interesting about the Claro map is that it creates three competitive districts compared to the one in the commission's proposed draft map. And and the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is if you look at their version of the third congressional district, which includes Latinos from the Roaring Fork Valley, the San Luis Valley, and Pueblo, it also creates, I believe, about 5% of Native American and Indigenous population within that border, which I think would also be intriguing to the commission. I mean, we've talked about the diversity of Colorado and how they're kind of grappling with communities of interest and how many, how you, how that breaks down in various districts in terms of the white and non-white populations. But when you look at our congressional delegation, it's pretty white. Yep. Jonah Goose is currently the only person of color in the delegation. And I will also note only two women in the entire delegation. The state house is doing a little bit better. Um, about 21% of Colorado's population is Latino. And at the Colorado Capitol, we have 14% of lawmakers who are Latino. We have 8% who are Black, which is higher than the percentage of Black residents in the state. And then for the first time ever, we have one lawmaker who's Palestinian-American. Oh, but I understand no Native Americans and no Asian Americans, right? Right. Yep. So still work to do there. And when this seems like a good time to talk about what some of these other communities of color think of the proposed redistricting maps and what they're trying to do to influence the process. Yes, I have spoken to some communities of color across Colorado. And, you know, we said all throughout this episode, you know, Latinos make up the largest community of color in Colorado. But the other groups, small as they may be, still want to ensure they have a voice in the process. About three dozen Asian Americans are sitting at rectangular banquet tables in a side room at Twin Dragon Restaurant in Englewood, a southern suburb of Denver. They're here for an Asian Eats meeting, and yes, they're anxious to dig into the food, but that's not the only thing on the agenda. Hello, hello. Thank you all for being here. We are really excited about the turnout and how excited you all must be to learn about redistricting. <laughs> That's Annie Guo Van Dan. She's president of Asian Avenue Magazine. She admits she didn't know a lot about redistricting until recently. For me, um, this whole process has really been enlightening. And kind of now that I've learned so much, I feel my role is to educate more people in our community. For this event, she's teamed up with community organizer Joey Ha, who's also chair of the Denver Asian American Pacific Islander Commission. She wants the AAPI community to know that getting counted in the census was just the first step in the process. Now comes the hard part, getting Asian groups to explain to the commission what makes them a community of interest. Ha has a simple message she wants to get across to tonight's diners. The biggest thing I want folks to know is that redistricting is about power. And for minority groups, power comes from numbers. If there's more numbers um, where you're at, then you have more power in um, voting and things like that. 
So with redistricting, what happens is districts that can be packed or they can be cracked, especially for minority influence. Packing is when maps put minorities all into one district, potentially limiting their influence in Congress or the State House. Cracking is when maps divide up a strong minority area, potentially diluting their influence. For Ha, there's one historic cautionary tale, L.A.'s Koreatown. In 1990, Koreatown was split between many districts, and then came the 1992 L.A. riots. Many Koreans who yesterday were the shopkeepers of South Central Los Angeles today have lost the businesses they took years to create. But when it came to cleanup and recovery, elected officials all passed the responsibility because they said, you know, Asian Americans didn't make a, up a significant portion of their district. And it was because Koreatown itself was split into these all of these different districts Colorado doesn't have a huge AAPI community, about 4% of the population. Still, Annie Guo Van Dan says there are areas in the state, like Aurora or Centennial, where East Asians and South Asians make up as much as 40% of a neighborhood. That can have a big impact on something as small as a statehouse seat. And when it comes to Congress, the AAPI community has mainly been in the 6th Congressional District. But as Colorado's number of Asian American residents has grown, the community has spread out. Van Dan worries about those families who have settled in suburbs like Highlands Ranch and find themselves outside of the 6th. Which puts them with um, Castle Pines and Castle Rock, which are predominantly you know, white communities. And so essentially this area where there are a lot of Asian families, they would have no voice being in that district. Or more likely, their voice could get drowned out by other larger communities found within the district. These two AAPI community leaders are using food to help get their message out about redistricting. Over in Denver's Five Points neighborhood, NAACP Aurora Branch President Omar Montgomery is taking to the airwaves. Has redistricting been on the Black community's radar? Like, where are you hearing about meetings? Montgomery was one of a number of guests invited to talk about redistricting on a podcast hosted by community activist Jeff Fard, better known as Brother Jeff. Montgomery told Fard they're encouraging people to make their views known. We told our community, attend these meetings, have a voice in these meetings, know the issues, get with your local officials if you haven't seen the maps. They're After spending about an hour on the show, Montgomery steps outside onto Welton Street. Montgomery says when he first moved to Denver, he asked people where the black community was in town. They pointed him here. And people were telling me about the history of um, where when blacks that were working on the railroad, post office, entertainers, they all used to perform here and live right here in Five Points. And there was a time that black people couldn't even live in Park Hill. <laughs> so as black people began to grow in this city, then they began to move east towards Park Hill, and there's a rich history there. The proposed state house maps make a major change to this part of town. They split the two historic black neighborhoods of Park Hill and Five Points. Montgomery worries about what will happen if political maps break up this community. The way he sees it, the current maps have led to representation at the state house and congressional level. To us, in the Aurora branch of the NAACP, we would like for things to stay pretty much where they're at, maybe some minor changes, because we're beginning to see the fruits of that labor of people representing us and representing our values. And it seems like some things are getting done. 
Montgomery knows it's going to have to be a group effort. And some of those conversations began when the draft maps came out between the Black, Latino, AAPI, Indigenous, and immigrant communities. So to me, it's important that all of us come together and figure out what is fair for each other. And if one of us get elected, how do we also champion their values as well? The redistricting commission has left the door wide open for people to champion their communities. Amanda Gonzalez, executive director of Common Cause in Colorado, says that is by design. The nonpartisan staff acknowledged their maps didn't reflect the various communities of interest and communities of color in the state, in part because they were waiting for final census data. And so I don't think that the preliminary map represents ideas that are fully baked um, around um, people that have been historically underrepresented and sometimes excluded from our democracy. For Gonzalez, it's about fairness and making sure the maps are truly reflective of communities. If you look at your hometown on that map, does it feel accurate? Are you like, yeah, that that's where my people live? Um, or are you cut in half? Gonzalez is expecting the draft maps to change now that the Census Bureau has released district-level results and the commission has held public hearings all across the state. Whether the final maps give minority communities the power to have equitable representation remains to be seen. But leaders say they'll continue to speak out and try to get people engaged. And if it doesn't go their way, they've learned one lesson. Begin outreach much sooner the next time Colorado goes through the redistricting process in 10 years. That's it for this episode. We'll be back in your feeds in a couple of days with more of our deep dive on all things redistricting. By then, the revised congressional map will be out. And I promise you, we will have opinions. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleague, Caitlin Kim. This is Purplish from CPR News.